It's my great joy to welcome you today. My name is Josh Houston. I'm the lead pastor here. Before I begin, um, I want to make an important announcement. As you, as you may know, Josh and Mel Jalandun, they moved here three years ago in order for Josh to attend Fuller Seminary. And he just graduated a few weeks ago, a couple weeks ago, a few weeks ago. So proud of you, man, celebrating you and with you for this huge accomplishment. And now Josh is looking for a full-time ministry position. Um, and as you're probably aware, the, the calling of God for, for ministry, for pastoral care and pastoral-hearted um, shepherding ministry is just evident on him. He's been training for it up to this point. And since January, Josh and I have been just in honest conversation with each other about what the future may hold. And, I mean, the reality is, unfortunately, our church is, is not currently in a position to be able to, full, to hire another full-time pastor. So Josh and Mel are planning to take July as a sabbatical month to enter a process of discernment and prayer and seeking the voice of the Lord for them. And although it's not decided exactly yet, it looks like they're going to be moving back to Chicago in August, which means next week will be their last week here with us at City Reach LA. So I want to be transparent uh, regarding the kind of the tension that, we're, that we've been bearing in this. We're, we're grieving together. Um, you know, the reality is LA is a, it's a very transient city. Uh, people will come here from all over the world, and they attend churches, right? Like Christians attend churches, but churches tend to be sending churches because um, people in L.A., they either don't stay here long or their job takes them all over the place. People put roots down for a season, and then God transplant them, transplants them to different places. And this has been our experience here for the last eight years as a church. And when you do church as family, it hurts when family leaves, you know? Um, it sucks. It's painful when people leave. And if it's painful, I think it means we're doing something right, you know? So at the same time, though, this, this opposite side of that we're celebrating you guys and with you guys, um, the gift that you guys are and that, that you've added so much value to our community, to our church family, um, that you've helped to take our church deeper into the heart of Jesus. Um, so we're excited for you guys for this next season um, and, and this, this new work that Jesus is calling you guys into. I believe so much in you. Um, it, it's been an honor to serve with you guys in ministry and walk life with you this last year and a half. And um, I'd like to ask our church just as, as best you can, make a best, your best effort to be here next week because we're going to honor them and we're going to pray over them, send them out with love and honor. You guys, we love you dearly. Thanks for all that you've done and been a part of. Um, I also, I want to give a quick update about our Columbia missions trip coming up. In case you're not aware, we are sending a team to Columbia in August to serve in a children's home just outside Bogota. Um, the kids in this home have been rescued from drug cartels and human trafficking and abusive family situations. And the leader of the home was that she's an ex-drug cartel leader herself. She's communicated that their greatest need at the home is for teams to personally come to the children's home and serve and be with the kids um, to give attention and love on the kids. So our team of eight will be primarily stationed at the home, spending our time with those kids, loving on those kids as an extension of our church, but even more so as an extension of Jesus and the church of Jesus. And our team has been preparing. We've been meeting um, for this trip for a while, and I'm thrilled to announce that the total cost for the missions trip this week has been fully funded. Yes, it's awesome. So each of the eight have been fundraising kind of personally on the side, and I've been, as you know, hitting up our church, just saying, if you can, give into this thing, because we're, we're going as an extension of a church, and our church really stepped up, so if you gave toward the trip, thank you very much, 
And I want to ask our church to commit to keeping our team in prayer as we go, um, as well as continuing to pray for the home, the kids at the home, the leaders at the home, and then anybody else we may come into contact with uh, on missions trips. It's kind of a very, it's a, it's a loose, it's, it's a stay Gumby mentality that, you know, you might have an initiative and a plan, but it's kind of like, God, where are you leading us to? So we're very excited. Um, the team's pumped to go, and we're believing that God's going to use this powerfully as an extension of our church in Columbia. All right? Cool. We are currently in a two-month sermon series called Jesus the Storyteller, and I've been sharing about the power of story, how story influences us, how it moves us, how it compels us to become something grander than our current state. And I believe Jesus knew this. He was a rabbi. He was a teacher, and one of his primary ways of teaching was storytelling. So we're walking through Jesus' stories, um, some of these these very well-known ones and some of these kind of hidden, subtle ones with open hearts to see how they might still be relative to our lives today. Three weeks ago, I preached on Jesus' story of the lost sheep. Two weeks ago, the mustard weed. Last week, the prodigal son. And today, I want to preach a message entitled, Stop and Smell the Manure. Stop and Smell the Manure. Stop and Smell the Manure. Here's my plan this morning. I want to talk about impatience. And then I want to talk about manure and about non-action, and finally, God's faithfulness. And here's what I hope you walk away with today. Like, if you can, if you can hold on to something today, this is what I'm hoping you get. That God can ac- accomplish far more in your stopping than you can in your striving. That God can accomplish far more in your stopping than you can in your striving. To begin, confession. I'm an impatient soul. I'm a very impatient person. Uh, Maybe I'm simply a product of our culture, but efficiency is my native language. It's my native tongue. And maybe that's just the excuse I tell myself to excuse my impatience. Uh, But I, I I like things like math. Math is linear. It's predictable. It's controllable. Math says the shortest distance between two points is what? Straight line. Why waste? Why waste time? Why waste money or effort or resources? If something can be accomplished more efficiently, let's change it. That's that's what that's I'm just like wired for this. I'm impatient. However, I also have this competing standard in me as well. You see, I highly value quality. I'm impatient, but I have this high regard for quality at the same time. Vinyl records, pour over coffee, 70 millimeter film face-to-face conversations. These conflicting desires, they they exist deep within me. The desire for efficiency coupled with the desire for quality. And often those two don't play nice with each other. Maybe you can relate. Uh, You ever find yourself hurried yet longing for excellence? You know what I mean? I want to be resourceful with with the use of my time, with my energy, but I, want, I also hope for and want results that are remarkable. Anybody connect with that? And, and it's not to knock it. I, I think it could be noteworthy, in fact. The truth is, though, we're, we're a Keurig society. I want to push the button. But we also long for depth. We're thirsting for meaning and significance, but we're also trained to take the most efficient approach or maybe just the laziest approach to our goals. Dating. Dieting, marriage, relationships, work ethic, faith journeys. What we're talking about here is health and how we attain it, wholeness and how we attain it. And what I'm realizing as I get older is that impatience and health don't normally walk hand in hand. 
hurry and quality, they mix kind of like oil and water. So we often have to choose between wanting something now or wanting something enduring. I stumbled upon one of Jesus' stories this week that speaks uniquely to this tension. If you brought your Bible or your Bible app, I want to invite you to turn with me to Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13. Again, Luke is where a lot of the the good stories are, Jesus' good stories. We got Bibles on the back table if you didn't bring one and you like holding one and smelling one like me. And uh, maybe you have your Bible app with you. I'll have the text up on the screen here in a minute as well. So this is Luke 13. Real short passage. I'm going to start on 6. This is verse 6. Then Jesus told this parable. A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but he didn't find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree, and I haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year. I'll dig around it. I'll fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. My plan was to preach on a different story today, Uh, but about halfway through the week, the story I was prepping for, it wasn't sitting right on my spirit. So I started reading through some of Jesus' other stories, and for some reason, this one just seemed to light up for me. Um, And this is, it's fascinating, because this is probably one of Jesus' least recognized stories. Um, In your Bibles, it might not even have a header at that point uh, above it. I've never taught on it before. In fact, I've never even heard anybody else teach on this before. Um, So I was like, as I was playing with it and started pulling on it, I I started to get very eager to to jump in this with you today. As I began to dig in it, um, in my prep, I was surprised by the conviction I found in it. In an objective sense, here's what we're working with in this story. We've got a barren fig tree. We've got a vineyard owner and a vineyard worker. And the owner of this vineyard is looking for fruit on his fig tree, but he's not finding any. He's been patient for three years. His patience is wearing thin, and he wonders if the ground could be put to better use, if the soil could be put to better use. Then the vineyard worker is called. This is the one responsible for producing growth in the field. And the owner instructs him, cut down the tree. It's not doing what it's supposed to. I'm not seeing the results that I would like to by now. Cut it down. And the worker pushes back a little. He's like, how about we resist that urge for one more year? I'll loosen up the soil. I'll add some manure to it. Perhaps a little extra care will make it fruitful. And if it fails to bear fruit after one more year, then we could take a more drastic approach. And then we're not even given the conclusion to this story. Like, and then, right? <laughs> now what? <laughs> little inception here, right? The, the ring spinning, right? Or the, the top spinning. What will the vineyard owner choose? <sighs> this is good. This is just good storytelling. Oh, Jesus is so good. Now, I don't know if this has been your experience, but for me at least, I've noticed that in modern Christianity, we tend to focus more on Jesus' commands than his prohibitions. You know what I mean by that? Generally, people are cool with advice or instruction. Go try this. Go accomplish this. You need to do this. We're less up for being denied something. We don't like to be told no. We don't like to be told to stop doing something. Think of Jesus' 
Great commandments. Love God with everything you got. And then love your neighbor as you love yourself. Or the Great Commission. Go into all the world. Make disciples. Baptize them in my name. Teach them to follow me and obey me. He instructs his followers to pray for them, for those who persecute them, to, to forgive often and quickly. Largely, Jesus' commandments to do get more attention than his commandments to stop doing. And this is one of those stop doing instructions. Leave it alone. Leave it alone. Human nature likes to convince us that to do is better than to not do. That non-action is wasteful. And I wonder, I mean, in, an, in L.A. Sp- especially, if, if impulsiveness might be a bigger problem than complacency. I mean, because if you're lazy and you're complacent, you're just not going to last here. We, you guys know that, right? Unless you got some crazy wealthy person paying your bills out here. No one survives in L.A. without a, a certain tenacity. You know what I mean? This is a hard city. This is such a hard city. And even with all the diversity and the, even the diversity of per- personality profile, L.A. is a city of hustlers and grinders. This city gets crap done. And the rest of the world takes cues from Angelinos. I'm telling you. And this story, it's, it's convicting and it's compelling because instead of Jesus driving his audience to action, he takes them out of the action. Someone offends them or they experience the results that they're not happy with. Their patience starts thinning. Let's quickly remedy the situation. Cut it down. Cut him down. Cut her down. And Jesus says, I know your impulse. You like to solve problems by amputation. You'd rather quit. You'd rather cut. You'd rather move to where the action is. You'd rather cut a relationship or divide families to achieve what you think is success. The manure story interrupts this noisy aggressive, problem-solving approach to life. And it, and it gently, it just gently suggests, not so fast. Let's, um, let's put some manure on this. Offer a little more time for you to see what's happening below the surface because there's always more happening. There's, there's always more action than you realize in your non-action. Manure. It's not a quick fix. There's nothing rapid about Manure. But we loathe, we loathe the long road to health, don't we? We want that one big secret to quick success. I mean, how many books are about that, right? Five simple ste- steps to success in this area. That's not chasing success. That's chasing fantasy. That's not about trying to secure a, a dream of the future. That's trying to es- escape the present <laughs> is what that is. Success and fruitfulness, most often they come by way of failure by way of a struggled push forward, this, this desperate waiting. But if results are what you're looking for, chopping down a tree will offer a quick fix. Clear the ground. Make a fresh start. And humanity, don't we just, we just love new beginnings, new babies, the start of a new relationship, a new job, starting a new TV show, starting a war. Spreading manure offers... No exhilaration. In fact, it stinks. It's not dramatic work. It's not glamorous. It does not attract attention. It's, it's the slow solution. And when we watch Jesus through the Gospels and his approach to problem solving, he appeared to glide with this, like this non-anxious, non-hurried presence. He held a certain fondness for the moment, for the moment, the present moment, the invisible, 
And he was, he was interested in those quiet, slow-working agents like yeast and salt and seed and manure. And I mean, really, manure, is, it's, it's, it's not even a prized commodity. It's garbage. It's waste. We build these elaborate systems to collect it and haul it out and get it out of our sight and smell. And Jesus suggests that this apparently dead, this apparently loathed waste is teeming with life. It's enzymes and, and microorganisms that are the substance of resurrection, actually. Manure takes things that appear dead and it, and it infuses them with life. And he's speaking into a toxic culture. Jesus is, this, 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 this specific culture he's talking into, it, it holds political animosity, religious nationalism, racial tension, socioeconomic casting, power abuse, Gender exploitation, I mean, this is not all that different from our world. And Jesus steps into it offering an alternative to this broken, destructive, abusive way of life. And he invites his followers into it, into this peaceful love revolution. You see, not long after telling this story, Jesus enters Jerusalem knowing he's going to be murdered. Before the week's out, he's hanging on a cross on Golgotha. Pilate, Caiaphas, the religious leaders... These are the power wielders at this time. They agreed Jesus had to go, that he was a threat to their, denom- their domination of the world. He was a threat to their deeply ingrained religious power-hungry way of life. He was a threat to their privilege. He's taking up ground. There's better use of this soil. Let's cut him down. They killed him. They eliminated him. They eliminated his kingdom, so they thought. And while he's hanging on the cross... Jesus responds to this hostile violence with this prayer, Father, forgive them. And the Greek word here, in some contexts, it means to to forgive or or remit in others. It means hands off. It means leave it alone. Ah, this is so good. He's praying to his Abba while they're cutting me down. Don't cut them down. We're not seeing the fruit that we're hoping for here and now, but I know they have it in them. This is premeditated forgiveness. He's offering them pardon before they even confess their wrongdoing. The God we see in Scripture, the God that Jesus reveals to us is not hurried. He's so patient. He's the divine being who acts, and he's the divine being who waits. And the narrative of Scripture calls humanity to slow down. And to slow down long enough to realize that our doing might be in competition or in opposition to his waiting. I believe one of the greatest temptations of our time is impatience. The refusal to wait, the refusal to submit to the silent energies that transform death to life. Gosh, the manure story is so relevant to our time. It's so relevant. It offers this alternative approach to whenever we come up against opposition or animosity or violence. We think things aren't going as planned. Who's ever thought that? Things aren't going as planned. So I'm going to take matters into my own hands. I'm going to remedy this situation. And the worker of the field, he suggests, hold on a moment. Don't cut it down yet. Don't cut him or her down yet. Let me shift some dirt. Let me put some manure in it. It's a call to hope. It's a call to trust. To come back to the principle, God can accomplish far more in your stopping than you can in your striving. 
And I'd like to ask you to attempt to filter that through your current reality. What's happening in your life that is coercing you to construct a quick fix right now? Rather than slow down and smell the manure. Maybe you're interpreting this through the context of your career today. Um, you feel that, that tension of trying to keep up with the L.A. pace. That crazy fast cadence. But you also feel this longing in your soul for rest. For stillness. For, for restorative Sabbath. You know, ours is a distracted society. We major in hurry. We specialize in noise. We're tempted to, to chronically engage in muchness and manyness. But if we can learn to descend into the stillness, gosh, or maybe the opposite, if we can't learn to descend into that stillness every once in a while, superficial, shallow, thin reality, this will be our existence. And I'm not talking about laziness. Uh, I, I carry this deep conviction that, that there's something for each of us to do here. There's a reason you're on the planet. There's a reason you were created. There's a reason you exist. A passion, something for which your heart beats, where your joy meets deep pain, where your joy, where your passion meets deep need. Whether we know it or not, we all want a sense of meaningful contribution. And we come alive when we're contributing in a significant way. And when we find that, we'll trade titles, we'll trade money, we'll trade a claim to engage in it. What's your passion? Is it art or business or finance, food or medicine or cars, something you could talk for hours about, something that for makes you forget to eat? You see, each of us have something to do here. We all have something that God has ordained for us to do here. But this, this part is so important. We have to start with, there's nothing for you to do here. We start with, there's nothing for you to do here. Breathe. Enjoy. Just receive this life as a gift. And now, let's go do something. It's like this endless infinity loop. Action, contemplation, movement, awareness. So this is not to demonize work. God loves work. It's the first thing we see him do. He creates. <laughs> this is who we know God to be. But then he rests. It's the balance of work and rest. Exhaling and inhaling. And sometimes you just need to stop doing to realize that you're already at the party. Everything you've been trying to achieve, you already possess. And then other times, let's fire it up. Let's shoot some NOS into this thing. And depending on the season, we need more of one than the other. But in L.A., we are seduced into this nonstop, aggressive approach to getting things done. So we need to pull back the pendulum a little bit to center it. Just breathe. Just trust. You can't make things grow. We have the power to plant, but only God can cause growth. Or maybe you're filtering this through, your, through a, a relationship, maybe a marriage, and you're experiencing all too frequent conflict with your spouse. And like the fig tree, you're not seeing fruit. You're not seeing the results that you want. It's been a few years. Things aren't going as planned. This is probably a, there's probably a better use of this soil. Let's just cut it down. I want to give a little encouragement. If you're experiencing conflict in marriage or in a, an intimate relationship, it means you're in, in, in an intimate relationship. It doesn't mean your relationship is broken or dysfunctional. It means two people have decided to live in covenant intimacy together for the rest of their lives. This will always create conflict. 
<laughs> if your intimate relationship or marriage is void of conflict, one or, one or both of you is not showing up to the relationship. And marriage is not intended to make you happy. It's intended to make you holy. And conflict is that slow, deep work forward. It's the manure. God says, leave it alone. Don't consider quitting just because expectations aren't being met. Maybe your expectations need to change a little. Allow me to shift the dirt, to insert some manure, and give it some time for the roots to be impacted. So whether you're interpreting this story through relationships or finances, or your faith journey, or your career, ultimately what we have to decide on, what we have to land on, is who we believe is running things. we got to come to a conclusion on how much power we actually think we have. To think through where our power ends and where God's picks up. God does not intend for us to be lazy. That we would just lay back and expect him to live our lives for us. But he also doesn't intend for us to try to control things over which we have no power. Can I admit there's only so much I can do? A limitation to the reach of my control. Can I, can I admit that eventually I will cross a line where my effort has no more effect? That I can ready the soil, I can pull the weeds, I can plant seeds, I can water, I can cultivate for growth, but I cannot cause growth. Because that is precisely where my action ends and my non-action begins. And once we step into that space, areas where our only power is found in non-action, that spot right there, that is where we will discover what we actually believe about God. You find God at the end of yourself. It's a scary spot to be, but that's where you find what you actually believe about him. We are impatient beings, but we're called to radical trust. To trust radically the work that God is doing that is accomplished in our patient waiting. It's in the waiting. It's in the waiting. That like Jesus' listeners, to be called to believe that God can accomplish far more in our stopping than we can in our striving. I want to invite the worship team back up. We're going to go into a short time of response in worship through song. And I don't know what's going on in your head or your heart right now. Um, I have a sense that this is just being interpreted through a thousand different contexts, even individually, multiple different ways, and this is wonderful. And I don't know what you need right now in this moment. So we're going to just give some space to wait. (laughs) some space for non-action. And I thought it was important to to note this. You might be thinking this morning, I get what you're saying in theory, Josh. This is nice. Maybe cute, even. It's a compelling argument, but in, in reality, I just don't have time to stop. I don't have time to wait for the manure to work. So much is on my shoulders every day. I have to keep up this anxious, hurried pace if I'm going to excel, if I'm going to succeed at everything that's put in front of me. Can I submit this morning that there's no such thing as time management? That there is only self-management? You don't own any time. You're given the same amount of time to work with as everyone else in the city. You do, however, get to choose what you do with yourself in that time. And I believe that you will 
always have enough time to accomplish what Jesus has asked you to. And you will never have enough time to accomplish what he hasn't. We just need to pick who's in charge. God can accomplish far more in your stopping than you can in your striving. And I believe that a church that gets that, a church that deeply believes that, not just in theory but in practice, can radically impact a city. And that's why we're here. That's why our church exists, to know Jesus and to make him known, to join in his redemptive work, bringing renewal, bringing peace and life and rest to this city, to this exhausted, desperate, broken, lonely city. The question is, do you want to partner with God in that redemptive work in L.A.? And if so, we're going to have to figure out how to do all we can and then trust God with the work that only he can do. So God, we show up to you once again with humbled hearts, broken, limited, doubtful, fearful. Maybe even our anxious striving is, is, a, is an effort to to put on a front that we've got more figured out than we actually do. God, we are broken and we need you. We need you so bad. And I pray over each one of our people this morning, maybe even the people listening right now on Facebook or on our podcast later. God, wherever it is that they're sitting right now in this room or outside of this room, God, whatever it is that they're filtering this information through, that this wouldn't just be head knowledge, but that they would encounter you right now, the living God the Holy Spirit, Jesus, our Savior, Savior, Abba, Father, God, three in one, we ask you to to descend on us powerfully right now and cause faith to rise, that we may trust you in our waiting. So we pray for faith to trust you, God, to trust what you say, that you're faithful, that you're never going to leave us, that you believe in us, that you see the great that lies within us and you're calling it out and that you're calling us to join the redemptive work of renewal that you're up to. We love you, God. We're so thankful for your involvement, your investment in our lives, your presence in our lives. We don't take that for granted as best we can, God. May we encounter you in this moment. In the name of Jesus.